When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Friday edition of PFTPM, the last one for now because PFT Live returns on Monday. The problem with doing these miles is that the people want more. The people are never satisfied, and they're always getting their money's worth when it comes to PFT Live and PFTPM, but they want more, and maybe it's good to leave them wanting more. It's better than the alternative. Yes, it sure is better than the alternative. But Mike, you know, it's been a long time since we've been able to say this, but it's another Friday closer to death. How about that? <laughs> well, given that I was at a funeral yesterday, it's probably not oh, a term that I would have used today. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> spent a lot of day, spent a lot of the day thinking about death yesterday. So thank you for the harsh reminder as I try to move past the trauma from Thursday. Thank you very much. But you're right. Technically, you're right been many Fridays closer to death since the first time we ever coined that phrase. But happy sure. Friday to everyone out there as happy as it can possibly be after we have pissed all over it. And by the way, speaking of the fact that I just kind of, kind of casually used the word piss, I did get in a little trouble this morning with my wife. Mm. I was on WQAM in Miami as I am every Friday morning at 915 Eastern. And after I was done, I exited my office and my wife said, were you just on the radio? And I said, yes, I was. She said, you used a bad word. And I said, I did. I was alarmed because I don't want to get anybody in trouble with the FCC. I don't want to get my my gig there, it, you know, pay gig that I've had for years. I don't want to have that taken away from me. I used the word ass. Uh, no. So and I was reminded that even though kids are in school, there may be some three year olds in the car seat while dad's driving around and they heard me say ass. So I now have to and I'm not being sarcastic. I actually do have to consider the the format and the forum and you know i don't want to be teaching a bunch of little kids impressionable little kids words that we just assume are okay to say in this day and age well uh, yeah i mean the radio shouldn't be pg-13 but as long as you're you know using the word ass it i think you are still in the clear it's if you surround ass with a different word where things get murky right My yeah, I think that's the one that you can't use, but you can say jackass, but you can't do that one. You know, I, I, it's interesting. I've actually said that on radio with Paul Allen before I said ass and then whole a few words later. And it's weird that as long as you have ass something whole, it's not the same as saying asshole. It really is odd. But in this setting, we can say whatever <laughs> we want. I'm not going to drop an F-bomb here because I don't want the folks at NBC who are dealing with this production to have to worry about bleeping anything. I don't know what gets bleeped and what doesn't. I do know that if it were Sims, he'd have dropped about 15 F-bombs by now. All right, let's get to it. I don't know how many F-bombs Aaron Rodgers dropped when he was in his darkness retreat trying to figure out the difference between the bed and the toilet. That's something that on the text thread we've bandied about there are certain things that it is critical for some degree of light in order to understand exactly where you're sitting 
or where you're doing something else that is the same letters with an H in there somewhere. But uh, here's my my big takeaway. Whatever enlightenment, no pun intended, he obtained from being in the dark, it's time for him to let the Packers know what's going on. Not because the Packers need to know, because they know if he's not going to be there, they're pivoting to Jordan Love. These other teams that are considering Aaron Rodgers need to know because next week at the scouting combine, that's when deals get done. That's when trades get made. That's when teams figure out what they're going to do. So if a team like the Jets is interested in Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, need to know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be available. Otherwise, they got to lock down Derek Carr before Derek Carr signs with the Saints or somebody else. And all that can happen next week when everybody is in Indianapolis. Yeah, it- it's one of those places where, you know, we have the legal tampering period or whatever they really want to call that. But I guess that's what it is. And that starts a couple of days before free agency. But really, tampering starts at the combine because everybody is there. And, yeah, there are some teams that don't exactly send their GMs or whatever. And, you know, that's happened more in the last few years. But by and large, the NFL descends on Indianapolis for about a week. And when you have all of these people and there's no pressure to win or lose that is where deals start to get done and it's not just you know guys walking around the hall at the convention center or being in lucas oil stadium i mean you go to prime 47 or any one of these other steakhouses that are in downtown indianapolis that's where people see each other that's where people talk so as a practical matter absolutely the packers need to know what it is that's going through aaron Rodgers' mind or what it is that he discovered in that dark room that he was in for four days or however long it was so that they can then start to try to figure out, okay, who actually is interested in Aaron Rodgers and is Aaron Rodgers actually interested in that team as well? Because even though Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a no trade clause as a practical matter, no team is going to trade for Aaron Rodgers if they don't know that Aaron Rodgers wants to be there. So it is a really big week coming up for that deal, and then the domino effects will start to to happen as well with all the rest of the quarterbacks. Yeah, if he comes out and says, I've decided after my time in darkness that I want to play and I want to play for the Packers and only the Packers, no one's giving up anything of value for Aaron Rodgers. And I I guess you could have some team out there decide to be hard asses about it. There's that word again. But (laughs) but why do you want that? You don't want that. You don't want to be the team that trades for Aaron Rodgers against his will. And that says, well, if he wants his 60 million, he'll show up. You just you don't want that. And I think one thing we learned last year, if you're going to have Aaron Rodgers on your team, you need him to be all in. I'm a firm believer that if Aaron Rodgers had been truly all in last offseason, I mean, truly and completely not just show up for the voluntary offseason program but do the Patrick Mahomes gather the receivers wherever he happened to be thing, they would have been in the playoffs and maybe would have been in the Super Bowl, that that was the difference. So whether it's the Jets, the Raiders, the Packers, or someone else, you want Rodgers to be all in. I think one of the reasons, Miles, he's going to want to stay in Green Bay, I still think that's what he does at the end of the day. Hmm. Too much upheaval at this point in his life. Too much change. Too much of a commitment to have to be there for everything. Too many new people to get to know. Too many new things to adjust to. And I think that, that like so many of us, he realizes there's comfort in familiarity. And maybe being in the darkness for a couple of days helped him realize that life is a lot easier when you're in places that you know, and you're with people that you know, and you're doing things that 
you know. And I know he wants some of his guys back, but even if some of his guys are gone, it's still a lot more familiar for him than starting over fresh and clean with a new team. Yeah, I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers needs to start over with a new team, right? And, and, you know, you see the effects of what can happen when you do start over with a new team, when you look at somebody like Russell Wilson, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I just feel like if you're Aaron Rodgers and you understand exactly what it is that you have to do to be successful in Green Bay, that's different than going to a place like the New York Jets, despite the fact that they've got a good roster, they've got pieces that would be there to be around Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's just getting to know a whole new set of everything. And I think, you know, when you reach a certain point in your career, you don't really want to do that anymore, especially because sometimes being comfortable is not the worst thing, you know? And, and I just think that if you're Aaron Rodgers, you want to be comfortable at this stage of your career and you want to be able to give yourself the best chance to win. And yeah, that could be somewhere else with a decent roster, but given everything that you already know with green Bay, you probably are still in a good position to win. If you just keep you where you are. I'm also a firm believer that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to end up with a new team with an expectation that he'll get to a Super Bowl and win it. Because then if he fails, the narrative pivots ever so slightly from it was the Packers fault that they never got back to a Super Bowl to maybe it was Aaron Rodgers fault that right. they never got back to a Super Bowl. So I think that's another reason for him to stay put with the Packers. Now, from the Packers perspective, we don't know what they want. Bob McGinn, who's been covering the team forever, dropped some bombs last Friday. And plenty of people are like, oh, he's just disgruntled. They took away his credentials. He doesn't like Aaron Rodgers, this, that, or the other thing. But there is a real question. Are the Packers ready to move on to Jordan Love? And when I was on WQAM today, Joe Rose, the host there, asked me what about Jordan Love would make the Packers think he's the answer. And I said, Joe, 15 years ago, what about Aaron Rodgers? Would have made the Packers think he was the answer after he sat for the bench or sat on the bench for three years behind Brett Favre. At least we saw that glimpse of Jordan Love against the Eagles on Sunday night this year where it looked yeah. pretty good. And I know that there's no game planning for him and it's different when he's the week in and week out starter, but he didn't just fall into their laps. They traded up to get him. They gave up a fourth round pick to position themselves to get him. They wanted Justin Jefferson. He was gone. They wanted Brandon Ayuk. The 49ers traded up to get him. The next guy on the list was Jordan Love. They traded up to get Jordan Love. They wanted Jordan Love. And after three years, I think at some level, they want to see what Jordan Love can do because they want to continue this chain. It's awkward when the two pieces meet, but Favre to Rodgers, Rodgers to Love. And if they're ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. If you wait one more year, what do you do with Jordan Love next year? He's going to be a free agent if you don't pick up his fifth-year option. So this is the year, this is the time for the Packers to move on. That's what makes it awkward, though, Miles, because mm -hmm. Rodgers has all the power here. The contract he did last year gives him the leverage over the Packers because if he says, I'll take my $60 million. I want to be here, I don't want to be traded, what are the Packers going to do? McGinn suggested last week that they would make him the number two quarterback. Are they really going to make a $60 million a year guy, or at least $60 million for this year guy, the number two quarterback behind Jordan Love? That would be far more awkward than anything Brett Favre could have pulled off in 2008. I can't really see that happening. And, you know, I mean, anything is possible. And I guess I've been shocked by other things, but I can't really see a scenario where Aaron Rodgers comes into training camp 
and is the number two quarterback, right? I mean, maybe if we go down the line and we're at week, you know, 13, 14, kind of like we were in this season, and it's like, oh, well, the Packers, they're going to be eliminated from playoff contention, and then they didn't actually end up being eliminated, right? It's like, okay, well, then now you see what Jordan Love can do. Because, I mean, I feel like they're going to pick up the fifth-year option for Jordan Love because you need some sort of, I don't know, no security in that you know you, you've already traded up to get him right you think that he can can eventually be a starter and if Aaron Rodgers says I'm retiring he's going to be your starter anyway and next year um, that contract because Jordan Love hasn't played is not going to be as much as it would be for many of these other young quarterbacks who have been playing and are going to be on their fifth year options too so there's a lot that goes into that but I I don't see Aaron Rodgers being a backup to Jordan Love because I think that would be uncomfortable for everybody. And I don't know that Jordan Love would even really want to be in that situation as much as he probably wants to play. And look, I can't rule out the whole continuation of the Brett Favre career arc where Rodgers would retire and then unretire later. And when you unretire your cap number, your cash obligation all rushes back onto the books simultaneously. The team's got to figure out what to do with you. Now, in mm -hmm. 2008, the Packers had more than enough space available to absorb what was a $12 million salary for Brett Favre back then. So they were able to sit back and wait a few days and let it play out and pick a trade partner. But that's, and I think at some level, when he was in the heart of darkness, Aaron Rodgers is thinking, you know, why do I have to make a decision now? for these other teams. Right. I'm good enough that if I'm suddenly available in late July, someone is going to throw their starter overboard, cut him, <laughs> trade him, whatever, the Chad Pennington effect, and come get me. I'm going to have even more power then because unlike 2008, and surely Rogers remembers all this because he lived it. Yeah, I remember it and I didn't live it. I just reported and covered it. He lived it. He knew what happened with Favre. And I'm sure he was taking notes because he was probably smart enough then to know this is the way it possibly ends with me. Best case scenario, this is how it ends with me. We have an awkward separation because I still want to play and maybe they don't want me. He could create havoc for them and maybe be in a better position to pick his destination. That's the key. And, you know, a few years ago, Miles, I would have said Rogers doesn't want to be the bad guy. I think he kind of likes the black hat. I mean, hell, he wears black all the time now, right? And and he he leans into these conspiracy theories and all this other weird shit. I, I think that, I mean, that's my opinion. But, you know, you, you see some of the stuff he says on McAfee, and it's like he doesn't care about making people upset. So does he really care about making the Packers upset or putting them in a bad spot? If there's an NFC team he wants to play for and they won't, they won't trade him to an NFC team because they're following the same path they did with Favre come July. If Rogers would retire now and unretire later, he's going wherever he wants to go at that point. And, and so I'm not taking my eye off that end result because maybe he thinks I don't have to tell the world that I'm playing now, that I can come back in July just like Brett did, and I can have that same land rush for my services because there'll be teams out there that say, oh, well, okay, Rodgers is available. Sorry, QB1. You're now QB off the roster. But for Rodgers, 
didn't we learn this year that that's not the best way of doing things for him, right? I mean, coming into things in late July, basically, you know, and I mean, you basically just said this. It's the opposite of what Patrick Mahomes did in gathering everybody early in the offseason and making sure we're all comfortable in this offense. It's the exact opposite. In that particular case, Rodgers wouldn't even have mini camp at the end of the offseason program in June to make sure that he's comfortable with everybody. Now, I mean, training camp is training camp and like, that's good. But even when you don't have all those built-in reps, that that's something that's not necessarily going to put you in the best position to win when it becomes September, right? You might not get comfortable with those guys until late October into November. Again, we just saw this with the Packers this year. So that's where it's like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers could still keep playing, but is he really going to be in a great position to win a championship by doing it that way? I, I don't know. I'm still fascinated by what the 49ers are going to do at quarterback because the Brock Purdy elbow injury is so bad. Mm -hmm. He hasn't even been able to have surgery yet due to the inflammation. We don't know about Trey Lance. I keep watching Tom Brady and maybe they finally make a run at him, but don't forget it was in 2021, just before the draft, that the news bubbled up that the 49ers had made that last-ditch phone call to the Packers to see. At a time when the 49ers were sitting at third overall after they traded to get up there, evaluating the draft class, one last phone call to see if we could get Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. this time around, when he was at the golf thing a few weeks ago, and somebody asked him about this year, he said, not San Fran. Okay, maybe. But maybe that's the place. Maybe that's a place where Kyle Shanahan can make him real comfortable really quickly. But but that would fit into my theory that he doesn't want to go to a place where the deck is stacked in his favor because if he fails to win a Super Bowl, then it becomes it wasn't Green Bay since 2010. It was Aaron Rodgers. And when the pressure is on him, we see it as the one seed. He doesn't deliver as the one seed. He won a Super Bowl as the last guy in to the 2010 playoff field so what's your gut tell you what do you think he's going to do what would be if you had to throw a dart right now in the darkness what what would it be i i would say that he comes back and he plays for the packers for another year that would that would be my gut feel right now what about you i i agree with you i mean the part of me that loves chaos because chaos results in traffic <laughs> yes and interest and <laughs> and uh and money, frankly. Sorry, I'm a capitalist. Yeah, I want chaos. But I, I thought all along he's going to go back to the Packers. And the only way he doesn't is if they just tell him, Aaron, we're done. Yeah. And and that sets the stage for all sorts of awkwardness. Because if he wants to stay and they want him to go, if he really wants to dig in his heels, he's got $60 million of soil into which he can bury the back of his shoes. All right, Russell Wilson uh is in the news again, but not because of anything that happened in Denver last year, although that's part of this athletic story. As you pointed out in our text communications, there's a lot of meat on the bone of this athletic story about Russell Wilson, the departure from Seattle, the first year in Denver. But the big headline is, and it came from the early paragraphs of the story, Wilson wanted Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, and John Schneider, the GM of the team, to be fired last year that he asked for them to be fired before he was traded wilson has denied it his lawyer told the athletic it's completely fabricated but miles i went back and looked at the old stories jody allen the owner of the team said russell made it clear that he wanted this change after they traded him 
I mean, well, what what's the basis for wanting a change? Do you want to get out of Seattle? Do you want to wear a different uniform? Do you not like the fans? Or is it you don't like the way you're being coached? You don't like the way the team is being run? If you want that change, it surely is coming from something substantive, not superficial. So if he wants that change, it's because he's not happy with what's going on. And it was clear a year earlier he wasn't happy with what was going on. Yep. So I I think that he may have never said, I want them to be fired. But in whatever final communication he had with Jody Allen, that was the message. The only way I want to stay here is with a different coach. And if that's not going to happen, you need to trade me to a team where I get to work with a different coach. Who will rid me of this meddlesome John Snyder and Pete Carroll? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We get a perfect opportunity to use my drawstring phrase. Yeah. And, and so it's pretty obvious that there was something going on there. Right. And like you said, I mean, we can go back to those let Russ cook days where, yeah, we let Russ cook and then he burned the meal. So then they had to like pair things back and make sure that they were running the ball effectively again. So this makes sense from the standpoint of, yeah, it was probably going to be John Schneider and Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson. And look, after we see the results of the 2022 season, it sure looks like Seahawks ownership made the absolute correct decision to stick with the football brass and the football decision makers that they've had for years and years and years. And here's why, too, because after 2022, Russell Wilson would have been in a position based upon the pattern that had developed over the course of his career to expect another market level contract. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the divorce was inevitable, and this goes back to the last time he did his contract when he got to 35 million a year, which was close to top of the market. Then they weren't going to do it again. They never believed in him as a guy that should be paid more than any other quarterback in the NFL. And it proved itself out by what happened in Denver. You made him the centerpiece of the offense and it didn't work. Now we'll see if Sean Payton can make him the centerpiece in a different way and make it effective. But the Seahawks were done. They were over. It was not going to be this continuation of every three or four years, we give Russell Wilson a contract that makes him one of the highest paid players in football. Now the Broncos are dealing with that as they try to figure out where he goes from here. So I agree. The Seahawks did the right thing. And the fact that the Seahawks didn't comment, I don't, remember who pointed that out on the text thread this morning it wasn't me the fact the Seahawks didn't comment on the athletic story says plenty and it and it it just meshes with this undercurrent of acrimony the glee that Pete Carroll took in beating Russell Wilson week one last year the report in the athletic that they didn't even talk before the game Wilson and Carroll so there, there's clearly something there and it'll continue to be there because, yeah, Russell Wilson wanted change. And it wasn't that he didn't like the helmets anymore. It wasn't that he didn't like that awful lime green jersey they wear from time to time. Although it's kind of growing on me. It's one oh, of those no. things where if you see it enough times, you kind of like it. Hmm. But, yeah, he, he wanted a coaching staff that would use him differently. And he wanted a front office that would build the team around him and also keep him among the highest paid players in all of football. One of the other interesting details to that story to me is that it wasn't just that he wanted um, Pete Carroll and Schneider fired. It was that he wanted them to replace those guys with Sean Payton, who had stepped down from the New Orleans Saints. So, I mean, when we were hearing the reports that, oh, Russell Wilson wants Sean Payton and all that in the last you know couple of weeks before Sean Payton got hired in Denver, that's something that apparently goes back even further than we thought. 
And so, you know, I mean, I guess we we didn't know that Russell Wilson was kind of interested in being with Sean Payton because of the the four teams that he would be willing to be traded for if he actually were to request a trade. And that report came out whenever that came out. And I guess that was back in 2021, Mike, whenever that was. Yep. And yeah. It wasn't a report. The agent went on the record. But, Unprecedented. Yes. He wants to stay in Seattle. But if he were to be traded, he yeah. would want to be traded to the Bears, Raiders, Cowboys, or Saints. It was so weird when it occurred. But <laughs> it Peyton's was. the link. You're right. Peyton's the link. So it makes sense that he would have wanted Peyton last year after Peyton became available. Yeah, exactly. So now we're going to see if going to a Denver and being with Sean Payton, the guy that apparently he wanted is going to be something that's going to be restorative for his career, right? Because I mean, look, Russell Wilson took a lot of hits last year. And frankly, I felt like they were, a lot of them were deserved. His play was not very good. And when you read the details in that athletic story, you see like, oh, he was conducting um, meetings on Tuesday, which is traditionally the player's day off, but he bring in all these guys and some of the players who were on the record said that, "Ah, yeah, these things were helpful, but how helpful were they really when you end up five and 12? I always love that when players talk about or coach talk about, oh, yeah, these meetings, we we really got things done in these meetings and they go out and they still lose. So I don't know how helpful that was. We know Sean Payton's not going to be able, excuse me, Sean Payton's not going to let Russell Wilson have that office that he had in the second floor of the building with an open door policy, whatever that is for a player. All right. He's not going to have his personal trainers, his coaches, all those dudes in there as well in the Broncos building. So If it does not work with Sean Payton, this is going to be another example of Russell Wilson and be careful what you ask for because you might get it. And let me just say one thing about the whole open door policy. I know it sounds good, but as somebody who worked in an office for years, if you have an open door policy, you never get any work done. Because (laughs) if you truly invite anyone in, whoever wants to come in, whenever they want to come in, they do. (laughs) And you never get any work done. So it's just cover for somebody who doesn't want to actually do any work because they spend all day telling the same stories to a parade of different people and holding court with this person, this person, this person, and never actually doing any work. All right. That's the end of my rant there. And I will say this, if Russell Wilson ever tries in Denver to use the open door policy with ownership to make a move on Sean Payton, Russell Wilson will become Robert Dunder in the office gif where Michael Scott is closing the door on him because Russell Wilson will have no juice, none whatsoever until he gets back to being the guy that he was in Seattle. And if he does, Sean Payton is the guy who's going to get the credit for the resurrection of Russell Wilson's career. All right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, It's time to check the box on our daily commander's update. In lieu of talking about the offense of the quarterback, we're talking about the report that Jeff Bezos has hired an investment bank to help him decide whether or not to buy the commanders, which seems unnecessary. When you got $120 billion, why do you need to pay someone to tell you whether or not you should buy this team? And 
guess what? It's going to be expensive to buy the team. And also the value is still going to keep going up. These aren't bad investments. The question is, do you have the money to make the investments? These are always good investments. So I don't know why he's doing this unless he just doesn't want to be bothered with the details, which is one of the privileges of being filthy rich, Miles. But it feels like the first step toward Jeff Bezos making his play to buy the commanders, which I would say every commanders fan wants to have happen. I, I would think so. I mean, you would have the richest owner in um, what on all of sports, right? I mean, this guy is somebody who, you know, pardon the phrase, but wipes his ass with $7 billion. If that's what <laughs> Dan Snyder wants for the, the team. Right. And you know, the reporting was that there weren't any, that would seem excessive. Than, well, I, I mean, think it would do it with less than seven. <laughs> he probably could, but he wouldn't really feel it when you're worth 120 billion. I mean, how much are you really going to feel the seven? Oh, look at that. It's a little prick on uh, my elbow. Huh? I guess. Oh, well, like that's one thing that then happens to me. But it, it's I mean, if Dan Snyder wants seven billion dollars, you might not get it from anybody other than Jeff Bezos. Right. I mean, the, the first initial bids, they were all six point three billion was the top one. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, if you're a commanders fan and you have this guy who's got all the money in the world, basically and wanting to buy your team, boy, that's a great, great thing. Well, and we've seen the reports already and I, I don't know that I can do it on this table. Oh, Daniel Snyder. I don't want to sell to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Right. He owns the Washington post <laughs> and they write bad things about me. So I don't want his money. Right. Snyder has an investment bank that's helping him and they get paid based upon the value that the sale generates. So they, that's, that's no, 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 no. If he's the one who's offering seven, he's getting the team because nobody else is offering seven. And there's been this concern all along that Bezos is going to scare away all the other buyers. And he probably will because no one's going to want to get into an auction with Bezos because Bezos is going to win. <laughs> Josh Harris is one of the potential buyers of the commanders. He was in it for the Broncos, and we reported he would have paid $5 billion for the Broncos, but he didn't offer $5 billion because if he'd offered $5 billion, the Walmart moguls would have offered 5-1. So then he goes to 5-2, they offer 5-3. So he bowed out. Because one of these days he wants to buy a team and he doesn't want to drive up the price he's going to have to pay in the future because that becomes the floor for the next team. So he's not going to get into a bidding war with Bezos. Bezos is going to get the team for whatever he wants. And if seven's a number, seven's a number. And you know mm -hmm. what? It's going to be worth 10 within the next five years anyway. So just right. pay the seven, move on. Now, now it's easy to say because it's not our money. One thing I've learned about really rich people is they're as cheap as really poor people. Because they don't like giving money away. They don't like wasting money. And it becomes part of a chess match. If I can get this for less by pointing to this, 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 and that's why the investment banking firm is there to look at the books and identify liabilities and come up for reasons why this number isn't justifiable. That's part of the game. That's part of where you get your satisfaction when you're really rich. I was able to buy something for less than I should have had to pay for it. So win one for me, like big freaking deal at the end of the day, but- but sometimes that's what motivates folks who have really nothing better to do. Well, yeah, the, absolutely. And, you know, I guess maybe one day one of us will know what that's like. But uh, the other part of this, I mean, like you said, the, the value of the Washington Commanders is only going to go up. And that's especially because they're going to be able to build a new stadium. And 
if you have somebody like a Jeff Bezos in place, as opposed to Dan Snyder, the areas that are going to uh, open up for you, the avenues that are going to open up for you to build that new stadium and land for you to build that new stadium, that's going to also open up for you. So there's a lot that will come for the new owner of the Washington commanders, whoever that is. But I mean, especially if it's Jeff Bezos, that, that opens up a lot of doors. That's something that someone in the note told me at the very outset of this. If Snyder sells to anyone, that person will have the keys thrown to him or her to the RFK site yeah. and new stadium there. And off you go. The problem is part of the purchase is FedEx field, which is the worst field in all of football, maybe the worst stadium facility in all of professional sports. I haven't been to enough to really compare, but I've been there. Worst press box at great. least. It feels like it's been there a hundred years and it's been there. How long? 15, 20. No. It's not a very old stadium. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 20, 25 years. I don't know. The years go by very, very quickly. The older you get, you'll learn that quickly enough miles, but it hasn't been there nearly as long as it feels like it's been there. And that's part of what you buy. And what are you going to do? What are you going to put there? You're just going to tear it down. It's going to be an open tract of land that maybe you'll, You'll sell to the Walmart crowd and then put a Walmart there at some point. All right. Um, another long article, and this is the season, I guess, if periodic long articles looking into what went wrong or what went right for teams the prior year. And I don't have the, the attention span to read every word of some of these articles. And I don't, I don't know that anyone does like the Joe Montana item a couple of weeks ago from Wright Thompson. It was excellent, but I'd be lying to you if I said I finished it. I started it with every intention of finishing it. But you get to a point where, I, I mean, it just has to end at some point. And it just keeps going and going and going. So the Sean McVay item from The Athletic came out yesterday. Jordan Rodriguez wrote it. And I have yet to read any of it. Someone who did shared with me their thoughts on it. I'm going to take a look at it. But there was something that you saw in it that was noteworthy. And I'll give you the floor so you can explain it in the event that I try to do it and get it wrong. Okay, well, thank you, Mike. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those long reads, and I thought it was a good read by uh, Jordan Rodriguez. You mentioned. Did you read all of it? Yes, I read all of it. I read all. Liar. <laughs> when I no no no. When I say I read all these things, like I I actually do try to read them, and then that's how I form okay. my full. Do you skim? Do you skim? Do you ever get to a point where you just like I can tell this paragraph has nothing useful in it I'm moving on or do you actually read every word of every paragraph cuz oh, I'll skim through them cuz you can tell like this chunk of it means nothing to what I do I'm just going to scroll past it. Uh kind of. Yeah, I mean but that one because of my connections to that franchise I I read every word of that one. But there are some where it's like okay, yeah, like let's let's keep it moving here. But that that in this one in particular I did read all of it. And that's why I noticed this detail in it. I thought it was kind of interesting and it's that uh, you had Allen Robinson, wide receiver, who obviously had a pretty, you know, nondescript season for the Rams before he got hurt. But he was planning to sign with the Philadelphia Eagles in free agency. And then at the 11th hour, basically, Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, they got on the phone with him and they convinced him to sign with the Los Angeles Rams instead. And so that was one of those things that made you feel like if you're the Rams, wow, you know, we've got a good player. We've got a really good receiver. We can envision him flourishing in this offense, but 
Then what happened was Matthew Stafford had the elbow procedure where he had the anti-inflammatory injection. And so he wasn't practicing really fully throughout training camp until kind of the end of it. And so that's why there was no built-in chemistry with Allen Robinson and Matthew Stafford. And then Allen Robinson just didn't have the kind of season before all the injuries, of course, that happened with the Rams. They, he didn't have the kind of season that they envisioned. And there just was no chemistry between those guys because his chemistry was with John Walford because that's who he was practicing with. So that was just one of those m- one things that I saw. And then I was like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. But I mean, imagine if Robinson signs with the Eagles, then there's no AJ Brown trade, right? And then who knows how good the Eagles are or are not at the wide receiver position. So it's just one of those little things that has a butterfly effect. And it's great. And also what happens with AJ Brown? Do the Titans keep him and pay him? Is John Robinson still the still GM? The GM yeah. Because you don't have the Mike Vrabel angry get up and pace around the draft room when they pull the trigger on the AJ Brown trade. Because that's the thing for every one of these deals, you have to have someone who's willing to make the deal, give the money, give up the first round pick. And for every team that's interested in making the move of a player they'd rather not pay, you have to have someone who's willing to take that player on. So who knows who it would have been if it wasn't the Eagles at that point. And it's not like the Rams had the draft capital to make a deal like that happen, although they would have been in play at some point if they known A.J. Brown was available. Not that it would have made a difference. The problem there last year was the offensive line. The offensive line was a shell of what it was in 2021. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time in football. When the offensive line is really good, you don't notice them. All the praise goes to the quarterback, the running backs, and the pass catchers. When the offensive line is horrible, yeah, it makes everybody look bad, but the headline is the offensive line is horrible. And that was one of the big reasons that the Rams struggled last year. Now, I I was told by somebody who read that article, too, that, you know, there's some excuse making that is peppered throughout the article, and there isn't a lot of ownership of the F them picks aftermath that last year was the commencement of paying the bill that they had racked up in going all in to win a Super Bowl. And I think some of that's obvious, but I'd like to think that that sense would come through. I mean, that's the easiest explanation for why the Rams are in a bad state right now. They went all in and it worked, but there's always a bill to pay on the back end. Well, I think it's not just that there's a bill to pay. It's that they've been missing on some of their draft picks, right? I I mean, that's basically, if you're going to say that we're going to go all in and we're going to push our chips in and we're going to use the high picks to go out and get veterans like a Jalen Ramsey, et cetera, then you have to hit on whatever picks you have that are left. And some of those picks have not really been hitting. And so that's why, you know, when, despite the fact that you've got all these injuries along the offensive line, I mean, some of these guys they've drafted, that have not been the kind of productive players that you had early on in the Sean McVay era. I mean, Cooper Cup, one of the best receivers in the NFL, he was a third-round pick. John Johnson, a player that they drafted, developed, and then he left, and they got a compensatory pick for him. Those picks haven't necessarily worked out. So that's where also, if you're going to say F them picks, yeah, it's F them high picks, but the low picks you got to be right on, and they haven't been. One other thing that came out yesterday, the folks at JoeBucksFan.com sent this to me. Bruce Arians, the former Buccaneers head coach who was assistant to the regional manager or something like that in 2022. (laughs) He was on with Rich Eisen talking about a couple of things. I mean, one thing that I wrote about last night that, you know, he pointed out that Tom Brady wasn't the real Tom Brady last year. We all knew that, but it's still jarring to see someone from the organization come out and basically say, we stunk because Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady and he wasn't Tom Brady it just just makes me wonder 
and this is a topic for another day, is Tom Brady really going to come back at, at some point? Because I, I'm still keeping one eye on that possibility. But the thing that really seemed odd to me, Miles, in reconciling what went wrong last year and the ultimate decision by Todd Bowles to move on from offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, Arians said that their philosophies just didn't match. Well, wouldn't Arians have known that from the get-go before he tried to hand the baton to Bowles? And as you were saying before we even got started today, Arians' philosophy is Leftwich's philosophy. So if Leftwich and Bowles don't match, ipso facto, Arians and Bowles don't match, but they made it work for a long time together. So I don't think it's quite that simple. And all of this presumes that what happened last year when Arians walked away 17 days after Tom Brady ended his 40-day retirement was a choice by Arians to say this is the perfect time to name my successor. I still believe that wasn't what really happened. And maybe, maybe that's the only way to make sense of what he said to Rich Eisen. It really wasn't an attempt to pass the baton. It was, he's being nudged aside. He's getting the Robert Dunder door closed on him. So Todd Bowles runs the offense, Byron Leftwich and Tom, or defense, Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady run the offense. And Bowles is the guy who's got the head coach title but it's basically the same as it had been just without Bruce Arians there as the go between between offense and defense. Right. Which I mean, the whole thing was weird. And I said it at the time last year that it just, it there's something about it that just didn't feel right to me when you just have a guy leave in the middle of March. And then all of a sudden the guy promoted is just the permanent head coach. I mean, and I don't, mean this in a disparaging way of Todd Bowles. It's just, what is that process? That process doesn't make any sense. And so now you have Todd Bowles going about it in a way that he basically gets to have his own staff, right? And it's not just Bruce Arians staff that's passed down to Todd Bowles, even though Bruce Arians, the whole thing that he was talking about was succession is important to me. And I have all these assistants and I don't want their lives to be upended just because I'm not there anymore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't know. Like I said, the whole process was strange, but then you get the, the results that we saw last year and you know, whether it's injuries, whatever Tom Brady is who he is and he's, you know, completing all these passes, but you can't run the football at all. And so, I mean, we didn't say that Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady, but at the same time, when you can't run the damn ball, you don't even have the threat of a run game. What exactly is your quarterback supposed to do? It was so many times, three quarters, no offense, no offense, no offense. And then, oh yeah, here comes Tom Brady. He's going to pull the rabbit out of his hat again. So whether it's philosophical differences, whether it was personnel, whether it was this, whether it was that, it just obviously did not work for the 2022 Buccaneers. And we'll see if Todd Bowles can now fix it with his own choice for offensive coordinator. And I feel like Bowles may only have one more year. I mean, one oh, thing yeah. about the Buccaneers, they are not patient with head coaches. They don't get a lot of scrutiny when it happens, but they cut the cord quickly on coaches. And, and, you know, you pointed it out. It was just kind of a weird forced marriage last year that happened too late for the Buccaneers to go out and search for someone else Maybe they never would have been all in with Bowles, regardless of how it came to be, whether it's Arians choosing to do the handoff at a time when it was too late to do a full-blown search or Brady agreeing to come back with the unspoken who will rid me of this metal Sumerians arrangement 
either way, ownership may have got saddled with a coach that they wouldn't have hired. So I think he's got this year to do something to prove that he should be the guy going forward. And we talked about the Rams, the bill comes due for the Bucks. This is the year the bill comes due. And I got some Buccaneers fans that correspond with me via email who are up in arms about the fact that Brady's going to count for 35 million under the salary cap this year, even though he's not there. Kyle Trask is going to be the quarterback by all appearances. This is what happens when you have those, those fleeting golden years in the literal golden years of Tom Brady's career, it's going to end and there's going to be a bill to pay. There's going to be pain on the back end. I remember when the Vikings had Brett Favre for a year or two, one year was magical. The second year sucked. And then, and then it's Christian Ponder and Joe Webb as your quarterback, right? Mm. So that's, what's going to happen to the bucks and their future is going to be determined at some point beyond 2023 miles. But I don't expect them to be very good at all this year. And if they are, it's going to be coach of the year type stuff for Todd Bowles. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's we'll see. I mean, maybe they do go after a a mid to lower tier veteran guy at quarterback. I mean, Derek Carr is kind of out there and I don't know if they can make that salary work for him, especially considering what Brady counts against the cap. But, you know, you have Kyle Trask and uh, again, it's not like the same guy is going to be coaching him up, but. At the same time, you've been at least seeing him in the building for the last couple of years. Maybe he did suck up something from osmosis from Tom Brady. I don't know, but it's it's I don't feel good about the Buccaneers going into the 2023 season. I just don't. Hopefully, if you picked up anything by osmosis, it wasn't posting photographs of yourself in your underwear on social media. Um, The uh, the Derek Carr angle is fascinating because there's some chatter out there, unsubstantiated chatter that a certain former head coach who once was in the team's ring of honor may be pushing behind the scenes for the Buccaneers to bring Derek Carr to Tampa because said coach still has an office in a strip mall somewhere. The, the fired football coaches of America foundation or whatever it is that he calls the thing. But John Gruden's got that relationship with Derek Carr. And that would be very interesting if the Bucs get in on it. But frankly, I think the existence of the relationship between Gruden and Carr is all we need to know that they're not going to want Carr in the building because Gruden is public enemy number one in Tampa based upon the contents of some of those emails he sent and some of the things he said about Buccaneers ownership. If you got any connection to Gruden whatsoever, you need not apply for Buccaneers employment. Well, I guess that that would be true. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that Derek Carr is connected to Gruden, though. I mean, there's just there's stuff where I think Derek Carr is a good leader. And I think that he showed that, you know, despite the fact that Gruden had to resign based on all of those emails. And then, you know, there was the Henry Rugg situation and all those different things. But him going to a new system. You know, especially for somebody in Todd Bowles who is ostensibly kind of maybe coaching for his job in 2023. Do you really want to saddle your your fortunes on the back of Derek Carr like that and learning a new system and all that? I don't I don't know if I'd want to. I mean, the question is, how good do you want to be? And maybe they do want to go through a year of pain and lay the foundation for a better future, kind of a soft tank. I've used that term at PFT, like and it makes some Buccaneers fans upset because, you know, every team wants to think every year they're going to try to win the Super Bowl. But this would be an ideal year to just embrace the suck, as some would say, be bad, get a high draft pick, and try to get a quarterback that's going to lay the foundation for more than a couple of years of asses in the seats, somebody who becomes a long-term answer, which they really have never had. The closest they ever mm-hmm. had to a guy they drafted who panned out was Jameis Winston. And how did that work out? Five years, and then he was gone, and 
Tom Brady was in. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, let's answer a few questions before we run out of time here. This is our our new friend, Buffalo Expat, who we have converted from harsh Twitter critic of PFT to somebody who actually seems to like what we have to say. He's got a question about Lamar Jackson. Do you get the feeling that Lamar Jackson's impasse with the Ravens is not just about the money or the guaranteed contract? My spider sense tells me he doesn't want to play in Baltimore anymore, and they're working to facilitate a trade. Look, I, I have wondered that for over a year. And, and that's why one of my positions has been, if you have an agent, your agent is the one who can go to the team and say, I don't want to be here anymore. My client doesn't want to be here anymore. He would like to be traded just like the agents did for Deshaun Watson in Houston. And it worked. You know, at some point, you've got to embrace being the bad guy to get what you want. And look at what happened at the end of the year. Lamar Jackson wasn't even trying to be the bad guy. And he kind of became the bad guy mm -hmm. because he wasn't going out and playing when he wasn't 100% because he's thinking about his financial future that hasn't been secured yet. So if you're going to be the bad guy anyway, go ahead and be the bad guy and ask to be traded. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he secretly wants it. My advice to him would be if you want it, just come out and say it. Yeah, if that is what he wants, then, I mean, he it would behoove him to make it known that he does not want to be in Baltimore anymore. And then, you know, the Ravens can use the non-exclusive franchise tag and then essentially they'd trade him. And one of the things that would help him is that it's this week coming up. I mean, just like we were talking about with Aaron Rodgers, you know, if you don't want to be there, make it known that you don't want to be there so that the Ravens can start lining things up for you and make it so that you have the best shot of being happy and then the Ravens also have the best shot of getting some good value back for you, because if that's the case, then that's what it should be. I mean, I, I don't know if he wants to be there or not. I mean, it seems like he wants to be there, but just wants a specific contract. So if that's the case, then he's going to make a choice of Baltimore or the contract. And, and we'll see which way he decides. And you mentioned the non-exclusive franchise tag. And, you know, the more I think about this situation, I wonder if... The Ravens would apply the non-exclusive tag. Somebody signs him to an offer sheet. We just assume the Ravens will say, we'll take the two first round draft picks. Maybe they would just match the offer sheet. Maybe yeah. they would say, thank you very much, team that was finally able to get Lamar Jackson to agree to a contract. We've been unable to do it. Thank you for doing it. We'll send you a, you know, a, a, a basket of cookies and, and other fine pastries as a token of our appreciation. I I almost think... And I've been kicking this around the past couple of days. I almost think that they'd be tempted to use the exclusive tag so that they could trade him for more than two ones. Because if you use the exclusive tag, you can still right. trade him. But you get more than what you would get if you don't match the offer sheet. Is he worth right. more than two first-round picks? That's the question that's kind of been bubbling up because – I went from thinking they definitely would go exclusive franchise tag toward the end of last season. 
And then with the stuff that happened at the end of the year, maybe they go non-exclusive. Now I'm swinging back the other way, that if a trade is going to happen, the only way you're getting more than two ones is if you use the exclusive franchise tag and then strike a deal in Indy or somewhere to, to make that trade happen. Because maybe there's a team out there that would give three ones. Maybe there's a team out there that would give two ones and a two, two ones and a three, anything more than just the two first round picks you would get if somebody says, here's an offer sheet, he signs it, and they don't match it. It is interesting because, I mean, based on what we've seen for trades, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, I mean, Lamar Jackson, the caliber of player he is, I mean, the only either the only question about Lamar Jackson is just availability, which I mean, you know, when a guy's hurt, a guy's hurt, you know? And so that is sort of a separate issue, but it's not like we're not talking about an MVP here. You know, this is somebody who has demonstrated an ability to play quarterback in an elite level for multiple years. So, I mean, if it would make sense for a team to give more than two ones, for Lamar Jackson, but I think the negotiating factor is something that if I'm Baltimore, I would want him to be able to negotiate with other teams at this point because you just haven't been able to get it done yet. And so I think that for, for me personally, the benefit of perhaps he signs an offer sheet with somebody else and then we just get to match it and then it's over might outweigh the we could get more than two first round picks if we if we have the exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. We, we may be onto something here just kind of accidentally. Let me sound this out because there is a level of sensitivity. And Bill Belichick is one of the guys who seems to be overly cautious and careful about even entertaining the possibility of trading a guy who's been franchise tag. Now, there's a clause in the CBA that says if you use one of these tenders, you have to have a good faith intention to employ the player under the terms of that tender so the ravens would have to be in compliant with that in compliance with that but i'm wondering if there's a way to apply the exclusive franchise tag but then give him permission to talk to other teams yeah give him permission to seek a trade to do a deal that would be acceptable to him And the Ravens, while having good faith intention to employ him for 2023 under the terms of the exclusive franchise tag, would nevertheless entertain all options for everyone because he wants more than one year and they want more than two ones if that's what they want. I think there's a way to thread this needle Hmm. and give him the chance to go out there and talk to teams with the teams knowing it's going to cost you more than two ones if you sign this guy to the contract that he wants. There may be something there. And the Ravens are smarter than any of us and they may be thinking at those levels, this is a way to get more than two ones, solve this problem once and for all, and move forward because we just can't work out a deal with this guy. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Mike. Eric DaCosta is going to be having some fascinating conversations at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis next week because, I mean, this is the situation other than Aaron Rodgers that is going to determine a lot of what else happens with quarterbacks in the offseason. I have a feeling he won't be accepting our invitation to join us in Indy (laughs) next week when we interview some coaches and GMs. Let's get to one more here real quickly. Uh, Short on time, but this is one from Syria One Kira. What are your thoughts on the Carolina coaching staff? They put a premium on coaching experience, even getting coaches to make lateral moves to join. Got names like Jim Caldwell and Jiro Evero after they interviewed for the head coaching position. It seems unusual. This is something that hasn't been 
addressed to the level that I think it should be. But I think the bottom line is David Tepper, the owner of the team, is taking full advantage of this fact that there's no salary cap for coaches. And remember, he blew out the curve with the head coach three years ago, and he shouldn't have in hindsight. Yes. Now he's possibly blowing out the curve for these assistant coaches, and that's going to make the other oligarchs upset because you're making it more expensive for us. If this is what's happening, I mean, look, Jim Caldwell said, I'm not, I'm not doing anything other than being a head coach. Now, all of a sudden he's back and he's not a head coach and money talks. It's Euro ever. The Vikings were ready champing at the bit or chomping. If you prefer that articulation of it to hire him. And he goes straight to Carolina. Why money talks. And I think the money is talking loudly behind the scenes, miles. Well, look, after what happened with Matt Rule and that, you know, two, let's call it and a half seasons that they saw what happened with him and the lack of NFL experience that all of those coaches had, or a lot of those coaches had at least, now you've gone the complete opposite way. And we see this a lot of times, you know, with a player's coach versus a disciplinarian or all that. But I mean, I give David Tepper credit, man. I mean, if you want to set up your team for success, I mean, winning the offseason is what it is, but you know, you're not going to be any worse for having all of these people with all of this NFL experience and all these good coaches in your buildings. So, I mean, if this is the 180 that they're doing, it's at least a positive for that franchise going forward. Now all they need is a quarterback. Yeah. And I predict it won't be Carson Wentz. We'll see what they do at the quarterback <laughs> position. All right, we got to wrap this up. Thanks to all of you for checking us out this week while PFT Live was off. Thanks to Miles for volunteering to do it a couple of days. Many have asked, or at least some have asked, when PFT PM is going to be back. We kind of do it as needed when there are significant events while PFT Live is on. I do it when PFT Live is on break. It's not all that easy to do both in a given day, which is why we no longer do both in a given day. But stay tuned for more PFTPM. PFT Live definitely back Monday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we will be doing it live in the afternoons. I think that's the plan. 12 to 3 Eastern, three hours live wow. from the Scouting Combine next Tuesday and Wednesday. So, Miles, we'll see you in Indy. Thanks for some of your time today. Thanks to all of you for paying attention to what we do. Check us out all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com.